Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Pardon that momentary pause. I was thinking to myself, should we open by saying good day? But that's, that's kind of lowbrow for us. You weren't taken aback by my odd introduction of myself? I was not, no. Really? I'd like to know more. About what? The new me? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a little more robotic. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, yeah, that's oh, okay. I've been uh, assimilated uh, by the Borg. Oh, I mm-hmm. knew it. Mm-hmm. I could tell. You have all this machinery kind of protruding from your cranium. Yeah, and the big red one eye. Yeah. Ben, you, you did a masterful thing just then. You didn't open by saying good day, but you also kind of did. I know. Yeah. It's like when you add just saying mm-hmm. at the end of a sentence. It's like having your good day and eating it too. There we go. Well done. This uh, microcircuitry is doing wonders. Really? Yeah. Firing on all micro cylinders. <laughs> right? So we are going, uh, we're going to travel a bit today. We're going outside of the States. Uh, a lot of you have written to us and said, well, 
I appreciate the all the stuff you guys do on the show, but you spend a lot of time in the U.S. or looking at the U.S. sides of things. And earlier, when we were talking off air, uh, Matt, you and Noel were telling me a little bit about some of the here's where it gets crazy uh, mail that you found mm -hmm. right in post. And one of the things that um, – that guys were very excited about was the concept of cryptids, but not just all the cryptids we've covered so far in the past. Cryptids down under. Oh, yeah. Cryptids of Australia, right? Yeah, we had uh, someone named Leif Allen Creed write into us and talk to us specifically about drop bears. They mm -hmm. wanted us to cover that and a couple other things. Uh, mm -hmm. The what? The bunyip and the yowie. Yeah. Lot, lots of things like that. Interesting conflation, too, as we'll find out. So, yes. We are diving into the strange and fascinating world of cryptids. When we started this show years and years and years and years ago, Matt, Noel, and I all started diving into these bizarre, unusual things. And the weird thing is that more often than not, we would find a grain of truth in these stories. And cryptozoology, candidly, is one of those fields that I had always personally thought would be mainly smoke and mirrors, you know, like a misidentified bear. Because most people nowadays haven't seen a bear in real life. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a scary thing. Or folklore conflated with some animal that's similar enough to scare you at the night, like in nighttime. Yeah, or like some kind of uh, misinterpretation of a fossil. Ah, uh, yeah, go. good call. Good call, right? That's why we used to think dragons were real for so long. Wait, what? Or were we wrong? You know? I sure hope so, man. I need to believe in something. <laughs> I, I wish the Jurassic Park, I, I just, every reboot they do, I wish they would try feathers on the dinosaurs. That'd be cool. You know? You know what? I have a pitch. Go for it. Dragon Park. Dragon Park. Dragon Park. I am in. Ooh. I am in. How has that not happened yet? They what, what happened to all the dragon movies? That is true. Dragonheart. I think oh they're my God. slumbering just for a little bit post Lord of the Rings Dragonheart, but they'll be yeah. back. They'll be back in the after the se last season of Game of Thrones ends. Yep, people oh, will have a dragon deficit. I, that's where we get our dragon fixes on Game of Thrones. They own the they run the, the the dragon show. Yeah, but I'm not talking about CGI dragons. We got to get some real dragons. Get them in SAG. Get them uh, really working. You know, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. In the case of cryptozoology, though, you know we we are outlining several of the common things: misidentification of fossils. Uh, misinterpretation of actual animals or, you know, out-and-out -out hoaxes. Since we've been doing this show at least three times, some group of people, once in Georgia, have claimed to find the corpse of a Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Yeah. And those folks had not misidentified a corpse. They were out-and-out -out con artists. Well, somebody maybe just misidentified the, the suit that they made. There we go. Yeah, and frankly, we've delved into some questions here that don't have clear, definitive answers. Sure, many of those photos of the Loch Ness Monster are genuine, clear hoaxes. But then there are things that are real cryptids, like the coelacanth, which is a tremendously disgusting-looking, ugly, ugly-as-sin fish that was thought to be extinct for millions of years. It turns out that we just weren't looking in the right places. But that's where we get to the tough part about cryptids because most stories of cryptids, these unidentified or unacknowledged animals, 
come from remote and dangerous areas and traveling to those parts of the world can be enormously expensive. And or dangerous. And or dangerous. Yeah, certainly. Like the uh, the deserts of Mongolia where the Mongolian bloodworm is supposed to be hiding. That's millions of dollars easily just to get a decent team of people there. Don't do it. Well, if you got the money. Right. Musk, do it. <laughs> yes, or Buffett if yeah. he's going to – turn a new leaf in his elder statesman age. So the institutions or governments that could support these sorts of explorations, they often aren't going to waste millions of dollars on what they see as a wild goose chase. And we should mention here that wild geese are not cryptids. I don't know why that's – it feels very important. Mentionable. That that. It's mentionable. What, what constitutes a wild goose? I know, right? Is it is it just not in a zoo or is it acting out? Because I, I used to work in an office where mm-hmm. these geese would just just l- fly in and, and mm-hmm. post up outside the door. And as you all know, I don't much care for birds. Yeah. So I didn't leave the uh, building when that happened. But it, ha- it was a pretty regular occurrence. Were those wild geese? Yeah, I mean, geese do migrate. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, there's okay. probably – was there a pond nearby? There was. That's there why. Was. Yeah, was. it wasn't for you. It was for the pond. Okay. So they weren't out for you. All right. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine without going too far into the figure of speech, it's the idea of chasing an animal that doesn't want to be caught. Right? Yeah. But in all of our previous episodes, let's see, we did – we even did the math, the cryptid math on how big a range – an animal of a certain size would need, depending on its diet. We did that for uh, Mokale Membe. Um, yeah, and specifically on uh, a Bigfoot-type creature. Yes, yeah. Like a sasquatch Gantopithecus or something, mm-hmm. yeah. But in all of our episodes, we have never explored Australia. And that is why today we are taking your suggestion and looking into one of the most interesting continents on this planet. Confession, you know, here are the facts, but confession, we use the CIA World Factbook for some of the stats about Australia. You traitor. It's – When he says we, he says Ben Bolin because know. Ben Bolin does I, all I the did, research no, here. No, 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 no. <laughs> I did, I, Okay. It's not – it's not – it's not Nolan Matt's fault, Nolan Paul's. I'm the one who used the CIA World Factbook, but it has good information. It really does. So Australia, as continents go, it looks huge on the map, but we all know how they're like Mercator projections mm-hmm. versus a globe versus other sorts of projections, and it messes with the size. You know, it's funny. Our, our buddy Chuck from Stuff You Should Know, they just got back from a tour of the Outback for you know their mega – successful podcast and uh he mentioned that they took a flight from sydney to perth and that it was the equivalent of taking a flight from like new york to los angeles it was like a six-hour flight yeah it's huge yeah i'm so bad at geography i was like i had no idea josh uh josh and chuck did just return from an australia tour and they've got some interesting stories about it josh was catching me up on some stuff you know who else went to australia scott benjamin Ooh. And he was going to take a road trip, and he was also startled by the size of the continent. You know, this happens a lot to our European friends when they travel to the U.S. Have you ever met somebody from Europe who's hanging out, and you say, oh, what are you going to do while you're here for a week? And they're like, oh, I'm, you know, well, I'm in Atlanta. I figured I would just drive on over to L.A., yeah, yeah. check out Hollywood, and then just drive back to the airport before Thursday. Mm-hmm. No. 
No, it's not happening. Yeah. It's like just trying to describe Texas makes us sound like lunatics. Oh, yeah. And just to give anyone who doesn't really know what Australia looks like or you can't imagine in your head, mm-hmm. um, Perth is in the southwestern side of the continent. And then uh, Sydney is in kind of the southeastern corner. Mm-hmm. Not really. Uh, Melbourne is probably closer to what that would be. But Melbourne, it, you, can you pronounced kinda, it correctly. Yeah, but you can, you can see how a flight – you could compare that to a flight from New York to L.A. Ah, there we go. That's the comparison. Yeah, it's 7,682,300 square kilometers in land mass, and most of it is a desert, the place we call the Outback, not to be confused with a surprisingly popular steakhouse chain here in the U.S. Yes. (laughs) Which, if you are Australian and you're listening We want to know your opinions so bad about Outback Steakhouse, Crocodile Dundee, um, what what else? Foster's, Mm -hmm. the beer, um, Steve Irwin, of course. Steve Urkel. Steve Urkel as well, yeah. I'm just kidding. I think I would be interested to know how – that that was Family Matters, right? Yes. I would be interested to know if Family Matters made it to Australia. Oh, I'm sure they had a huge – I mean we, we even have listeners in Australia. Surely Family Matters did. (laughs) <laughs> That's a very yeah, good yeah. way to put it in perspective. Well, yeah. And just so you have an understanding of these deserts, if you're looking at like at the top of Australia, it is really everywhere. Everything from the Strzblecki Desert, which sounds very odd when I say that, S-T-R-Z-B-L-E-C-K-I desert, uh-huh. to the Great Sandy Desert, to the Little Sandy Desert, to the Gibson Desert, and the Great Victoria Desert, and the Tanami Desert. It, they're everywhere, and they're huge. Right. Yeah, they're the majority of of the continent. Now, that's not to say that the whole thing is a desert, which I think is um, a common mistake a lot of Americans make. The southeast and southwest corners that you had mentioned earlier, Matt, have temperate climates. Yes. You know what I mean? And the northern area and part of the eastern side of the continent are, in what again might surprise a lot of us in the U.S., actually tropical and subtropical climates. Australia has a rainforest. I know. Aussie listeners, I know that we probably sound kind of like nincompoops here, but I don't think a lot of Americans know that. No. I think we've been corrected before, and it's, it's Aussie. Aussie? With a Z sound. Ah. In terms of human population of Aussies, the first Aussies uh, may have arrived on the continent as far back as 65,000 years ago. That's a long time. Are we going to talk about its uh, history as a prison colony at all? Because that's always fascinated me. Yeah, this is – I mean, this is before it was a prison. But yeah. yeah. No, no. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe that's too in the weeds. We should probably get to the cryptids because that's what you came should. here for. Right. Yeah. So continuing with the facts, this ancient migration 65,000 years ago makes the ancestors of uh, Aboriginal Australians the first human beings ever to migrate out of what's called the Afro-Asia sphere. That's according to a historian, Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote – who writes excellent books? Homo Deus, mm-hmm. Sapiens, uh, Noel's roommate and I go back and forth for hours about this stuff. But as of July 2017, Australia was the 56th most populous country with a population of 23,232,413 people, many of whom, to your point, Noel, yes, were descended from prisoners because – For a time, Australia was treated as a dumping ground for undesirables. The whole continent? 
they started a prison colony yeah. there, but they weren't bothering to protect the native people. That's right. So then it just kind of the folks that were there just spread and put down their roots mm-hmm. like you do. There's a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of room to put down roots there. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. There are only certain little kind of spaces. They're really fairly small spaces within this huge continent where you can put down roots, at least safely. In other words, habitable areas, right? right. Areas, yeah, where you're going to have enough enough other humans to have a large enough civilization to, you know, have enough commerce and things like uh, that. There we go. Right? So, so in those places that we, we talked about, what is it, 80% or something? 86%. 86% of the humans live in these uh, largely populated areas. And the rest is what, just the bush? The rest is wilderness. Even that's yeah, the bush, right? Yeah, outback, but then also you know the the forest, the jungles. Yeah, the the crowded places are very crowded. But then, like the the largest city is Sydney, and the population there is only four point seven nine two million. Wait a minute! Wow. I think I see what you're getting at, Ben. Yes. In discussing cryptids. Our whole thing has always been, but how come, like, there's not just an infinite amount of space for these things to hide, right? Right. But in Australia, Mm. there kind of is. We got lots of it. Yeah. Yeah. And not infinite, but a lot. There's a lot. A lot. Because in addition to that, it's, it's not just geographically isolated. It's what we would call ecologically isolated. That makes it unique amongst all the other human occupied continents. And sorry, Listeners in Antarctica, we're not counting you for this part. Yeah. I'm sorry. Just, yeah. <laughs> but just from the fact that it is an isolated uh, continent it, into itself, there's no land connecting it to anything else. Right. If anything gets to Australia that's not by a ship or a plane, at least uh, as since those technologies have been available, it's been by flying there or swimming there. And that's it. Yeah. Or floating there. Yeah. And then just some through some miraculous event not dying. That's what happened to the ancestors of a lot of Australian animals. But and the, or since a land bridge was there at a certain time. Or since it broke off mm-hmm. of the supercontinent. So according to professors like Rick Schein, Australia has a unique fauna because it was isolated from the rest of the world for very long periods. Like you said, Matt, surrounded by the ocean for millions of years. The And he calls it a life raft of sorts, more than a continent. So these plants and animals with very different ecological pressures evolve in different ways. So if we imagine ourselves as the very first people to go into Australia, the stuff we see is insane. Giant wombats who have no fear of humans because they have never seen us. Yeah. They don't know that we can make spears and they don't care. I don't want that. I know Chuck cuddled with a tiny, cute koala baby. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he made a joke uh, today when we recorded Mini Crush that they present you one as soon as you get off the plane, and I asked if you had to return it when you get on the <laughs> plane back home. Oh, uh, well, I hope it was a nice koala bear, because this is, this is what an upset koala bear sounds like. Matt, I can't believe you played that. Uh, they're just so adorable. That did not sound adorable. That sounded horrific. It's what? disturbing. It reminds me of a, a more sinister version of that moment in Dumb and Dumber where they say, <laughs> what's... Yeah, where they say, what's the most annoying <laughs> sound? Okay, I thought you were going to do the bit where you continue interrupting this with <laughs> no, it. Thank you for not doing that. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was me. I had go. the guy to get on the fun. Uh, hey, well, we appreciate you um, still listening. Yes. To both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's strange, though, because 
There's a really good question. Could a koala bear have evolved anywhere else? The answer mm. is probably no, or it's much less likely that it would. And the isolation historically of Australia carries over to the modern day. That's why it's home to so many animals that are found nowhere else in the world. Koala bears, kangaroos, dingoes, wombats, quolls, Tasmanian devils, which in person are way less cool than their name would imply. Yeah. And so on. Yeah. So so we have several things here that add up to uh, to create a unique situation, a perfect storm of cryptozoology. It's, as we said, sparsely populated, enormous stretch of desert, as you, as we mentioned, and home to unique animals found nowhere else in the world. Could it be possible that there are even stranger animals in the Australian outback? Yes. It could definitely be possible. Is it true, though? And what will we find? We'll talk about it right after a quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. 
I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Here's where it gets crazy. It's true. Australia is home to a ton of alleged cryptids. Even, maybe even more than the U.S., on balance, mm-hmm. and these often fall into a few types of categories. They might be urban legends, right? Sure. Things that came about in modern folklore. You could make a pretty interesting argument that maybe Slender Man itself is a form of a cryptid. Absolutely. It's humanoid, but not human. Yeah, you're also going to find some that are basically the Australian version of a cryptid that exists pretty much every el- everywhere else in the world, like a certain type of Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then there are unique versions of cryptids, creatures that are solely believed to exist or have existed in Australia and possibly some nearby islands like Tasmania, New Zealand, and so on. Um, there's, there's a very important aspect of Australian culture that influences the idea of cryptids here, and that is the fascinating – I would call it cognitive technology known as the dream time. Yeah. See, this is the part that I couldn't quite wrap my head around when we talked about this on the uh, Here's Where It Gets Crazy episode. So I am looking forward to this discussion. Yeah. Um, Well, none of us have participated in the culture, right? We have to be clear about that. Oh, for sure. But our colleague Annie Reese has. Holy smokes. Was, was that a didgeridoo? I don't know. And then in a puff of smoke, <laughs> Annie Reese has, has appeared before our very eyes. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. spoiling the lead here. There was a portal that just opened up. Mm-hmm. That's how I always get to work. I, I guess you guys have never noticed. No. No. It's no. no. the quickest way to travel. We spend a lot of time uh, bunkered up in the studio here, but we appreciate you joining us for a little bit because – First off, that portal thing is very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. As people know or may or may not know, uh, the five of us, counting Paul, have worked together closely for a number of years. And you are somewhat of a legend in our office, uh, not just for hosting Saver, not just for hosting stuff mom never told you, but for going on adventures in different areas of the world, some very remote places. Yes, I, I do like to travel and um – Thank you for saying that. Thank you for having me. You all are legends as well. Um, oh, pshaw. <laughs> go ahead and just go ahead and portal out of here now. You're, yes, you're done. Get I out. knew that was all you wanted. That's what I suspected. Um, yeah, I, I, from what I understand, I certainly hope so. Uh, you guys are talking about Australia today. Yes. That is, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, a concept that we've run into in this episode is the idea of something called the dream time. Yes. Yes. I spent about four months in uh, Wadair, which is in the northern – called the Top End, Northern Territory. Um, It's really hard to get to. You have to take a plane because it's usually flooded. And if if it's the dry season, you can drive out there, but it's really rough. It's like three miles per hour rough. Um, They don't get many visitors. uh, So – it's pretty remote is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was there specifically to try to save their language, save their language, to document one of their languages because um, a lot of the dialects of Murunpata or other Aboriginal dialects are dying out very, very quickly. 
And um, part of that was learning about the dream time and the dreaming. And one of the big things I tried to do when I was there was um, just listen, just listen to people when they when they spoke. And uh, I, one of the first pieces of advice someone gave me was to just sit in a place for a long time and someone will come up to you and tell you, tell you their stories because they're a, a society that depends a lot on oral tradition and passing things down orally. So I did get to learn about the dreaming. Um, it's it's they're pretty much their creation story. Um, and it all started where uh, they have these ancestors way, 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 way back um, that, that sleep underground. But they came above ground and pretty much created everything, the everywhere and every when, as they say. And it's not a flat timeline. It's like a, a cycle. Ooh. Everyone in the Aboriginal society can recall the dreaming, the dream time. They can remember this. And they go through these these reenactments, these rituals that are very repetitive to to sort of put yourself in the in the state of mind where you can remember it. Kind and of recapture also, it almost, right? Yeah, and to pass it to pass it along. And so I, I got to see I got to see some of these. Um is really powerful chanting and dancing didgeridoo um, and they they draw shapes in the sand they paint on their faces and their bodies and it's really cool because um, in Australia you can see the Milky Way especially out there because there's nothing out there (laughs) there's nothing so you can see that kind of milky whiteness in the sky and then all these shooting stars go across and it, it, it did feel I felt something like that I hadn't felt before and um, that probably sounds really cliche and cheesy but it is true. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. <laughs> I, yeah, I can totally imagine that. Some, yeah. some in a in a different version of time, almost, right? Yeah, you just you feel as, as though you are a part of something. Honestly, it, it really felt powerful, and um, I was really fortunate because they were open and happy to share. They wanted to share, and uh, I, I, I appreciated that they were they opened up to me in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said you were there for four months. Mm-hmm. How? Uh, what? What level of interaction did you get in terms of the community's like group uh, rituals? I um, I got a lot, mostly because I was like I took that advice and I sat in the spot and people would come up to me and they really did want to include me in those things. Um, I think because. I suppose if if they had encountered foreigners before, they had been much more like you're doing things this way. Mm. And um, I just wanted to learn. And um, they did (laughs) honorarily accept me into their tribe. Um, They gave me a spirit name and a spirit animal, uh, which was starfish. Means lost treasure, so it's cooler than that it sounds. That is adorable. That's amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it was nice, and they um, they made me this didgeridoo, which is great for audio because no one can see it. Annie gestures to her right, yes. uh, handmade, hand painted didgeridoo that's quite colorful. That's the thing that was making so much noise when she portaled in. That's right. Yeah. It's the only way to open the the portal through circular breathing. Oh, yeah. I we, wanted to bring it because it illustrates. Um, just their art, which I, I assume you'll probably talk about, but it mm-hmm. this is x-ray art. It shows their insides. 
the insides of animals and humans Mm -hmm. and also how they tell stories. When they tell stories, the journey is the most important part. So they always show the stop. So this is my journey. I flew there. This is the, the, the town, the village. This is I then went on land to Sydney. Wow. Ah. Yeah, and this is this means journey's end. It's like a cool circle thing. That's beautiful. <laughs> Would you oh be gosh. okay with us posting some photos of the didgeridoo uh, and some of the other stuff you have brought on our Facebook page? Yeah, yeah, okay, absolutely. Great. That would be more helpful than me kind of vaguely describing. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Watch, <laughs> rewind, and watch along. Uh, Annie, you have also brought a boomerang. I have bought a boomerang. Um, this was more just for fun. They are kind of dangerous. They, I, I always assumed they were just silly, to be honest. But they're used for hunting, um, and they are seen as weapons, and you can't have them on planes when you carry on. Wow. Really? Yeah. Can I hold it? Yeah. How would you use a boomerang Matt, whoa, on a plane? Whoa, <laughs> Watch out. Whoa, we did have our training today about like office awareness. Yeah, I was just wondering mm. if I could disarm someone. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't get taught how to disarm someone with a boomerang. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> That's going to come back to haunt us. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, hey. <laughs> come back to <laughs> Well, Annie, thank you so much for taking the time to explain uh, the dream time. It's a fascinating concept and it's something that – I think the three of us heard about but hadn't done uh, much investigation into beforehand. Uh, So hopefully we can talk you into coming back in the future as a guest on a full episode to have more adventures. What do you think, guys? Please. Yeah, I'd love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I guess we're going to sit here and watch you didgeridoo through a portal. (laughs) I'm ready. Let's see. It's weird because there's a door in the studio. I, I mean, whatever. Portal's oh. infinitely cooler than a door. Though, that's, true, that's true. That's oh. true. Door to another dimension. Oh, here it goes. Here it goes. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. And you can catch Annie right now on Savor. It's a podcast about food and why we like the things we like. It's got a lot of science and history to it. It's super cool. She's also on Stuff Mom Never Told You. Yes. So do check it out. Uh, friend of the show. We're also we're also big fans of food stuff. Stuff Mom never told you, and Annie Reese in general. So let's let's look at some of the cryptids that occur in Australia, and we can we can stop along the way if we want to see what types of cryptids these are, what categories they would fall in. By far the most famous, the the breakout single. The real banger off the cryptozoology mixtape of Australia is something called the bunyip. The bunyip? It, it is a strange-looking thing. If you've ever seen a picture of it online, I would encourage you to search for images of it. Uh, it's funky. Mm. It's kind of like a snake, kind of like a plant, kind of like a, an aquatic creature. When I just read the descriptions in the text years ago, my first question was, is this a platypus? Oh. Are you just – are you describing a platypus? Because it yeah. sounds like they just threw all the leftover stuff in there, you know? Yeah. But it's interesting you bring up the the idea of the appearance, right? Mm-hmm. The only really consistent stuff about the bunyip, which does – is mentioned in Dreamtime – is that it is a creature that lives in or near bodies of water, like creeks, pools, swamps. And it's so ubiquitous that there are nine regional variations of this that are presented and described differently 
in different traditions and different uh, threads of folklore. And at this point, there's no real consensus about what this thing looks like. We, it has some common characteristics. Yes, indeed there are. And these include things like tusks, flippers. I've always wanted a flipper. Only it's sort of like a, either, either you get feet or you get a flipper. Yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, you really want two Classic. flippers. <laughs> oh, that's true. I guess I'm thinking of like a fin. A uh, fin yeah. could be cool. Well, no, what does a mermaid have? Is that a flipper or a fin? Ooh, now that is a question for the ages. That really is. That's just <laughs> a tail. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> very true. Okay, all right, Ben. Uh, also, uh, speaking of which, a horse-like tail. Um, and, and, of course, you know, possibly a mermaid-like tail. Um, mm. And then there's also this belief that they come out at night to feast on animals and, of course, young children. Sure. You know, because they're savory and delicious. Weakest in the herd. Yeah, and women. Yeah, and here, well, well, we'll get into it a little later. Let, let's keep going on with it. But I have some I, ideas about this creature mm-hmm. um, with regards to storytelling and safeguarding of uh, the, the the young in a population. Oh, I see. But let's let's keep going. So they also have a characteristic noise that they are notorious for making when they approach. I just found it described as a loud bellow. Yeah. Yeah, and it can be heard from like miles away, right. from very, very far away. You'll always know the bunyip yell when you hear it for the first time. You're like, oh, that was a bunyip. Ah, the yell of the bunyip. Yeah, it's come. Well, I mean, I it, like that. That's a good catchphrase for a t shirt. <laughs> that really the is. The yell of the bunyip. Uh oh. I like it as one string. Ah, the yell of the bunyip. <laughs> <laughs> okay, T Public, uh, here's looking at you. Hopefully, hopefully you're listening. You guys look at it, you, T Public. I think we have to fill out a form or something. Yeah. Ah, all right. Or, no, you're right, we have to fill out a form. We have to ask nicely, but let us know if you think that's a good idea for a T-shirt. But that sounds like the Sasquatch yells and some of the communications that we've right. heard about where you it's tough to nail down exactly what it sounds like, but if you hear it, you'll know that that's what it is. Um, right. some, some recordings have been made over the years of supposed Sasquatch sounds. Um, and I wonder, I, I haven't dug too deep into mm-hmm. the Bunyip yell or the shriek or whatever you might call it, but I haven't found a good recording of something per, like that says that's what it is, that I would at least say, hey, let's play that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you mean. And even with, even with very well-established or well-known cryptids such as uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, there's still it's such an audio Rorschach test. You know what I mean? Yeah, it really people is. hear things that they want to hear. Unfortunately, you know, but that's the, that's the thing with a bunyip. It's supposed to be a very distinctive, characteristic bellow. We have not found a definitive recording of that. We did find the earliest published reference to the bunyip, or one of them, which was a pamphlet published in 1812 by a guy named James Ives. And he refers to it as a black seal-like creature that has a terrifying voice. Right? I have chills. Chills, Noel. I have chills. It's probably like that, but like a lot more sinister. So it's kind of a sinister seal. It's like an arch. Maybe. That's that's too Scooby-Doo-ish. That is a little Scooby-Doo-ish. It has to be lower. Like a... a like more of a death metal seal. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Like a death, like the seal has corpse paint on. That's that. That would that would spook me. We've solved it, folks. You heard it here first. The bunyip. So this this black seal like creature, right? That's that's one of the 
That's one of the descriptions. Other accounts, also in the 1800s, called it a dog-like amphibious animal or a calf-sized, shaggy-haired, or maned quadruped, sometimes seen on land, but mostly amphibious. So what, what does that mean? You know, originally in the aboriginal dream time, which, you know, early anthropologists created this word to describe that worldview, but we'll go with it. In the dream time, bunyips were very nasty creatures. They were punishing spirits. They were like forces of uh, righteous punishment that you did not want to run into. But now they're they're pretty toned down. Yeah, you can find them in uh, commercials now. They're like kids' commercials. Like as in, hey, hey, look at this thing. It's a bunyip. It's fine. It's silly. It's, uh, it's going to bring your cereal to you. I honestly don't know if it's been used in a cereal bunyip commercial. Oats. But yeah. <laughs> bunyip oats. To be fair, bunyip, it, it's, it's, it sounds a lot like bunny to me. So yeah. it makes me think of something cute and uh, malleable. It doesn't feel like a scary word to me either. But there's a long list of supposed sightings of these creatures, and some of the most recent ones were during the midst of the Depression during the 1930s. Hmm. I wonder what correlation there is there. I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why as well. Hmm. It was the 1930s, the economic depression that, that racked the world, did drive a lot of people to pursue alternative viewpoints, I mean, economic and cultural and spiritual that they ordinarily wouldn't have done. Yeah, and probably alternative like living, like places to live yeah. and uh, trying to save money and live off the land in different ways. Mm. I, maybe there's something there. Well, what about uh, – I mean if they were something, would they be a relic population of an animal that we thought went extinct before? There's that possibility. Mm -hmm. What is this thing called? The diprotodon? Diprotodon. The diprotodon. Oh, yes. The the old diprotodon. This is a fascinating looking creature. It's this I, – I don't know. It looks kind of like a bear, but if you mixed like the head of a hippo or something in with it or kind of melded that into the creature, mm -hmm. uh, walks on all fours. And it's a marsupial mm -hmm. and it's pretty dang huge. Yeah. And some aboriginal tribes have identified bones of this creature, fossils of it, as bunyip bones. So that might be the, the grain of truth there. Well, and you know what? This diprotodon went extinct roughly 46,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. So after humans had crossed over into Australia. Right. Um, so they would have coexisted with this thing for thousands of years. Maybe it's the name that was given at the time to these things. So is it then is it then a a relic from oral history? Perhaps. Right? Some kind of memory carried over. You could say the same thing about another candidate for the bunyip tale, which is the palerchestes, which means ancient leaper or dancer. And this thing went extinct 11,000 years ago. So it has even more of an overlap with, oh, yeah. with human settlements and occupation. It looks crazy. It's like a tapir-looking creature uh, about the size of a horse. Yeah. That's like – again, if, you're going, if you look at the diprotodon, it's going to stand over six and a half feet tall mm -hmm. generally. Mm -hmm. So taller than you and that's walking on all fours. And I mean, 
the, it would be it would be pretty, pretty creepy, and I bet it could make a bellow that you would hear for a long way away, as well as uh, what was the other one? Oh, the uh, parlochestes. Yeah, I bet I bet both of those could make a sound that you would notice. So here's the question: Then, is this real? Is there a grain of truth to it? The thing is, there's a solid core of reasonably good, anatomically consistent accounts of the bunyip. Despite those regional variations, the most common one is a dark-furred, dog-headed, quote, seal dog. Oh. So is it, a, um, is it a seal that swam out of place and somehow got to a river or a, a swamp, a coastal yeah. swamp or something? Or maybe a small population of them that started living and existing in a different environment than they normally would over mm. the course of, you know, a couple thousand years. Right. Maybe they found a place that didn't have uh, some of the natural privations they had evolved to combat. So maybe the living was easy. I don't know. It's just I keep going back to the bellow. Like, no, like you did with the seal sounds. That seems like that would be loud enough, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a bark. Yeah. They're inherently, they, they carry. Right. So... That's that's our case on the bunyip. Let us know if you let us know your opinion of it. Do you think it's just folklore? Do you think it's an animal that went extinct at some time, but maybe not as long ago as we think? Um, I don't know. You, do you want to do a lighter cryptid? Well, but yes. yes. But yes. first, I want to talk about what we were discussing at the very top of of talking about the bunyips. Yeah. That idea that they will hunt. Uh, usually, or at least in the stories that are told about them, they'll hunt children, they'll hunt women oh, that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to keep you away from bodies of water or, or, you know, they exist in bodies of water. And my thought is perhaps it's an oral tradition to try and safeguard the the young of, of a community and Ooh. perhaps um, safeguard them from not only bodies of water, which can be very dangerous and there can be animals close to water or in water yeah. that are, you know, would, would probably be carnivorous or could be carnivorous and attack a small child. So a boogeyman. Yeah, a, a boogeyman story to safeguard. I don't know. that In my mind, that makes a whole lot of sense. I could see that. I could see that. And also kind of the extrapolation from this is using that, the dream time, the oral tradition of the dream time, because a lot of, um, in many cases, stories from, the dream time are used as kind of an allegory to teach a lesson or to mm-hmm. have uh, something that you need to learn. So there's like one place that you could go to or one set of stories you could tell that would give a person living in your community everything they would need to know to survive there. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, just that's part of folklore and that's part of history, learning those things. Just got to put that out there. Absolutely. Would you, I mean, would you say – Going back to the boogeyman thing, would you say that the next animal on our list is also a boogeyman? The drop bear? The drop bear? (laughs) (laughs) Drop bears, Noel. What do you know about them? Uh, Well, it's a delicious gummy treat with a marshmallow tummy. Oh. Mm -hmm. How much THC per per milligram is in there? Um, 100%. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. It takes you right to the dream time. <laughs> All right. No, but seriously. It's like a terrifying mm, carnivorous marsupial that drops down upon you from the trees. At least legend would have it. Yes. Yes. It's got giant fangs, right? Yeah. It's got giant, jagged fangs. And claws, I'm sure. And claws, and it 
it uses these fangs and claws to rip chunks of flesh from the neck, head, and back of unsuspecting tourists. Yeah, because like if it comes down on you and it, and it hits you on the back, it probably immediately jaws right down on the back of your neck. Right, right. Gets an artery or vein to pay on the side of the neck. Oof. Maybe paralyzes you. That's a drop bear, folks. Luckily, it's taken about as seriously as the idea of a jackalope. Yeah. Which do people if you if you're not familiar with jackalope, Google it. It's this weird American in joke. Isn't it just really a taxidermy joke? Yeah. I feel like it's it's a taxidermy joke, but it's very American. I feel like nobody really believed in the jackalope. But maybe maybe they did. Just so anyone who doesn't know, it's it's a jackrabbit or a, a larger mm-hmm. uh, rabbit and or a hare, and it's got antlers, right? That's yeah, the whole point of it. it. Like, that's yeah. it. It's all it takes. Antelope horns. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Jackalope. Mm-hmm. So it's – it's been, uh, according to folklore, that belief has been around since colonial days, but the belief in the drop bear is a little bit more recent. We don't know exactly when it occurred, but it's it's like an in-joke for Australians. Yeah. It's fun. You tell the tourists, hey, watch out for drop bears. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Well, That's pretty good. And there's, a, there's this delightful commercial that you can find on YouTube right now. It's for this company called Bundaberg or Bundy Rum. Uh, and cola. That's a whole thing. It's at least one of their products. And it features this drop bear where there's a group of these camping blokes. I'm going to call them blokes in this instance. Um, They're accompanied by a polar bear who's just hanging out by the trunk of their car, uh, the boot or whatever you call it there. Uh, And the whole point is they're trying to convince this separate group of Sheila's in this case, see what we're doing here? Um, ladies, right? Yeah, they're trying to convince the ladies to join them and camp with them because they're like, oh, you guys are camping over there. We're camping over here. We should get together. Well, the polar bear understands what's happening here. So the polar bear sneakily climbs up to this tree that's hanging over the ladies' tent, right? Uh Right? And then the lads, they they go to the Sheilas and they're like, hey, you got to be careful of them drop bears. We got drop bears around here. And they're like, drop bears, what are those? And then the polar bear drops down onto the tent and they scream, and then they all camp together, and they drink, I guess, Brandenburg rum and, rum and cola. Bear does it, the bear doesn't, like, dismember them and then drink some rum and coke? No, no, the bear falls on the tent and then gives them a nice little, like, wink and, like, Why? Yeah. Why does the bear want to help out these blokes? I don't understand the, the motivation there. He is certainly in with that group, so he's either... Uh, <laughs> He's one of the gang. <laughs> his, yeah, his motivation is to maintain that group of friends. So he's an anthropomorphic, pervy bear. He's a polar bear, and he's also on the Bundaberg uh, rum. He's like part of their logo. Okay, he's like oh. their Toucan Sam. Oh, I get it. Or he's like I their Coke polar bear, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> well. It's a little skeezy. It, it, it is. It is. But hey. I don't know. It's like hijinks. He wasn't aiding a crime, right? Well, well, we've only seen a snippet of this bear's life. Yeah, and we, we only know how the night started. That is also true. And while we're overthinking – Animal commercials, uh, you guys know about panda cheese, right? I'm sure. What? Ad nauseum. Panda cheese? No, what the no, hell is that? No, no, no. Oh, okay. So we're going to have to hang out for a second after we record, and we'll post this, and here's where it gets crazy when this episode comes out. There's uh, an Egyptian cheese company named Panda. Okay. And they put out, a number of years ago, a series of advertisements about this evil panda that would appear if you turn down panda cheese, it would appear and ruin your life. What? In increasingly dark and sinister ways. Okay, there's a YouTube video called Top 7 
Yeah. Panda cheese commercials. Yeah. We don't have time to do it now, but oh, he's doing a slow clap in this one. But they're worth it. They're worth. <laughs> it. He's, he's a creature of pure evil. So I would take the Bundy Rum guy over this one. But you know what? We should also take at this point a break. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you just you just set him up, and I knock him down. There you go. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. So we talked about the bunyip. We explored the the drop bear just for fun. Now it's time to dive into the story of what I would call the most likely to be real cryptid. Okay. Here. 
in this case, and that is the thylacine or Tasmanian tiger, one of the most fascinating alleged cryptids in the region. Also known as the Tasmanian tiger, um, this creature technically went extinct in Tasmania in the 1930s with the last thylacine, which was a male named Benjamin. Oh. Hey. It's like – they, it's like your name. They have a weird. <laughs> they have a. Uh, they have a weird story about Benjamin. Well, let's get to it. So Benjamin died in a zoo in 1936, and for years and years after, uh, there was this controversy because they didn't know the gender of the animal. So there were some people who went back and obsessively watched video. This one short clip of the animal walking frame by frame by frame, enhancing the crap out of it until they could see one testicle. Wow. So a lot of science went into that. Okay. Wouldn't you just – couldn't they have just said, oh, its name is Benjamin? I don't know. One would think. <laughs> Obviously, it's so, Benjamin. So last one dies in 1936, as you were saying, Noel, right? It's a fascinating-looking creature. It really is. It's, yeah, and over the it's it's true. And over the years, there have been numerous uh, residents of Tasmania who've claimed to see, uh, encounter even this carnivorous marsupial. So it's a lot like the drop bear in that respect. Um, so the Tasmanian tiger can grow to six feet long if you count the tail. And um, folks like Andrew Orchard, who have investigated this uh, cryptid, claim to have seen the creature multiple times. And often people hunt these. Um, much with the same dedication that we attach to Bigfoot hunters um, mm. here in the United States. So maybe we could interview a devil hunter. Also, that sounds really cool. Yeah, the devil hunter. Well, it looks – it's a fascinating-looking animal. It looks kind of like the head of a canine almost in a way. Um, but then its tail is very – rodent or marsupial-like, but again, it's large. Yeah. And then its body has the stripes of, gosh, I don't even know, I, almost uh, some African animals that you can find uh, just to have the the stripes of this kind. Not tiger stripes, but they're very, they're lines. They're not like some kind right. of uh, jagged uh, shape or any kind of, they're not even really swooping or anything. And they start on the upper back. Yeah. And then they, they expand as they go down toward the haunches. Yeah. It's a very, very strange placement. It looks like somebody customized the creature in a video game of some sort. For sure. So it was, it was common in Australia for some time as well. But it went extinct in Australia first and then later extinct in Tasmania, at least officially. And as, as you pointed out, Noel – there are a ton of people in Tasmania who are certain they have seen this thing. Mm -hmm. you know? And the Australia Rare Fauna Research Association has almost 4,000 reports of Tasmanian tigers in Australia since 1936. Like, uh, like observations or sightings of some sort? Right. And if you look at the silhouette or the profile of the thing, it looks different enough from a dog or a dingo even because that tail sticks straight out. Yeah. Like a, like a kangaroo tail. You Absolutely. Know? If you saw it at night, I can see how you would mix this up with a few things with the, the exception of the tail if you're like seeing it with a flashlight at night or headlights or something. Yeah. You know, the most popular, uh, I guess, misidentified animal we have here in Atlanta now is a coyote. Have you guys yeah. seen any yet? I have actually. Yeah, me too. And some foxes. I, I got them mixed up initially. Really? Yeah. 
I saw um, in a neighborhood outside of Atlanta a few years back, I saw a um, lost dog poster. Yeah. And someone's like, Has, have you lost your dog? I've been seeing this one around. I haven't caught him. He's kind of shy. It's totally a coyote. Whoa. Yeah, killed some cats. But um, but look, people who think that the Tasmanian tiger survives think that it survives most likely in a remote part of Tasmania, you know, the island off of Australia, or in a very remote part of the Australian, not quite the outback, the bush, like you said, Noel. Um, Glycerine. <laughs> yes. Uh, Don't let the days go, boy. That machine head. Yeah. Did you know he played the bad one of the bad guys in Constantine? Yes, he did, and he was fantastic in it. Yeah. It was very was he strange. In, wasn't he in something else? Um, he was talking about several, Gavin Rostell. Is he yeah. out there? Are they Australian? No, they're, no just, they're just plain they're old just, British. They're just British. They're just plain old British. They didn't take the trip. Dang it. It would have been a good uh, a good transition. Not a transition, at least a better non sequitur. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of fantastic segues. Sequiturs, even. Yeah, sequiturs and segues, which is uh, another name of a different podcast we'll probably do one day. What about large cats? This is the one that gets me. Every place that we have ever investigated in terms of cryptozoology, they always have at least a few large cats. Like every state in the U.S. has its own alleged cryptid large cat. Yeah. Even states that have mountain lions. Yeah. Say they have a large cryptid cat, but it's different. Yeah, it's different from a mountain lion. However, mountain lions are terrifying. If you've ever seen one Mm -hmm. in the wild or maybe on your property – Beware. That's a mountain lion. It will take your dog and or maybe you. Yeah, they're not – they didn't come to play with you. Nope. But it feels like the reports of large cats in Australia have a little bit more credibility. Yeah, there's one – I guess the most famous sighting is the uh, Gippsland phantom cat. It's been spotted all over the place repeatedly in the Grampians. Uh, Grampians? I don't know how to say that correctly, Australians. I'm sorry. Uh, but since the 1970s. Are Grampians like geriatric champions? Yes, just like that. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a region or a little, an area. And uh, experts and skeptics believe these are maybe perhaps the feral descendants of just, you know, plain old house cats. But maybe a little bigger, maybe a little more feral. Yeah, so this national park is is huge. It's 646 square miles, and it's a nature reserve. Mm-hmm. So it, it's ticking a lot of the boxes for us. It's not heavily populated, and it's remote. There you go. Maybe it's a different species that we just haven't cataloged yet. And where it's located plays a role in its credibility too because there's this longstanding theory or somewhat of an urban – I don't want to call it a myth, but there's a tale. Okay. There's a story at least that says when U.S. soldiers were stationed in Victoria in World War II, they had a pair of pumas that were mascots. And after the war, when they were going back home to the States, they released these cats into the wild. Pumas? Pumas, you say? Which is – it's just a cougar. Cougar. A a cougar. Yeah, but um, it looks – I mean it's just a large – it's a large cat. It's another word for mountain lion. Yeah. Two to three feet in height. So maybe not as intimidating as a gigantic wombat, 
but it is carnivorous. It can run 50 miles per hour. And if you piss it off, it will, it will attack you, right? Yeah. Most animals in the wild, it's pretty much true everywhere. If they have the option to avoid a human versus confronting them, the majority of animals would rather avoid a human being, right? Yeah, the majority of human beings would rather avoid human beings. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, in, in Victoria, however, these reports of large unidentified cats were taken very seriously, so much so that the state government investigated the sightings, and in 2012, they released a report that said there was no evidence to back these concerns. Yeah. Don't ask us how much it costs to do this investigation, which became another sticking point for the local government. But the stories continued, and they continue today in 2018. And there was, um, there was at least one case where somebody caught an unidentified cat. Yeah, this was a fellow by the name of Kurt Engel. He shot a uh, that said unidentified cat, which had a 26-inch tail. Wowzers. It's huge. Yeah. And tests on the cat showed that it was at least partially a common domestic cat. Mm. Yeah, so they had a mitochondrial DNA test, which means they can only trace the matrilineal side yeah. and the mother's side of it. So the official conclusion was, like you said, it's partially a regular common cat. Yeah, but the other parts are just monster. Doesn't 26 inches seem cartoonishly long for a tail? It really does. Why would you ever need that from an evolutionary perspective? Unless you're like hanging from it or, I don't know, <laughs> getting objects out of the water with it. Seems like it'd be a liability. Maybe you can go yeah. fishing with it. Maybe. I bet you could. Deep sea fishing. Well, unfortunately, we don't know because he discarded the body. Oh, great. That was dumb. Thanks, Kurt Engel. 1.6 meters long, although he said it was two meters. You can see a picture of, um, of the cat hanging up where he caught it. But destroying the body really hurt his credibility. You know what I mean? Jeez. But then there's other – there are other uh, video clips you can find. There's a wealth of stuff out there. The problem is that people who are skeptical about this stuff will say it's inconclusive. There are also rumors that there are large, essentially Komodo dragons wandering the outback. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> We didn't dig too deep on that. That's just one of those where I think I could also see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you'd think there'd be more than just a few sightings if there was a large enough population of them out there. But who knows? Maybe they're that isolated. Oh, but the best one, my favorite one. Yeah? Yeah. What is it? Anything walking around on two legs up in this piece? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked, Matt. Yes, there are not one but at least two types of Bigfoot-esque creatures in the world of Australian cryptozoology. The first is the Muhau of New Zealand. According to reports, they're about the size of a normal person, normal okay. guy, but they have an ape-like face, long shaggy hair, and really long fingers with sharp fingernails or claws. Ugh, I don't like that. Uh, they, I was with you yeah, until you got to the long... And started acting it out yeah, across the table yeah. toward you. They're thought to be responsible for two deaths in 1882, a prospector and a woman who was found nearby. She'd been abducted from her home. Someone had broken her neck. The prospector had been partially eaten. Ooh. No one knows what happened. Yeah. 
Did they? I, well, yeah. Just makes you wonder if they found, uh, you know, any long scratches or uh, yeah. strange, creepy things. But That's contagious. Now you're acting. I know, and I'm not liking me doing it even. And then there's the Yowie, which probably has one of the more fun names of all our cryptids. Oh yeah, I mean this is this is your Bigfoot. This is your Australian Bigfoot. Essentially, uh, it lives deep within the wilderness. It avoids contact with humans. You might be able to hear uh, a Yowie if you know if you're walking around in the woods or maybe you're camping or something. Or you're just or you, exploring or hiking, or you're on the like at the outskirts of the woods. You or can you hear it. Stub your toe. Yeah. Sorry. Yowie. <laughs> Yowie Zowie. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a no? It's Wowie Zowie. It's a pavement album. Mm-hmm. Ah. But here's the thing, Noel. There might be some confusion here because within the oral storytelling over the years the um, and within the aboriginal communities, the term Yowie is also a regional term uh, for the bunyip creature. Oh, so there's some conflation and confusion there. Exactly. So maybe it's one and the same or at mm-hmm. least originally was and then it just became its own separate set of stories. Yeah. Well, if I have become persuaded in this episode about one thing and one thing only, it's that Pavement should do an album that is entirely about the Yowie and it's called Yowie Zowie. All right. Well, first we've got to get them back together. Okay. Well, look, everything's – it's a journey of a, of a thousand miles starts with a single step. So members of Pavement, former members of Pavement, if you're listening – Write to us. Do this for us, please. Do you know a member of Pavement? We'll send them this podcast. <laughs> uh, make them listen to the entire thing yeah, against their will. Don't send them just the end. <laughs> and then uh, hopefully they'll they'll hear this. Well, it does – you know, we do have to wrap up today. But uh, we've explored, at least on a cursory level, some of the most popular and strangest cryptids in Australia, but there's much more to this story because Australia has its own rich history of these sightings, and although many of them share tropes and themes with stories in other areas of the world, these are very different, found one big twist to the to the entire cryptid story here, and it's that of all the cryptids in Australia at least the ones we encountered while working on the show, large cats and the Tasmanian tiger are the most likely to be quote-unquote real, mm-hmm. right? Rather than purposeful hoaxes or being misidentified. But the big twist is we might find Tasmanian tigers sooner than we think, and we might not do it by searching the remote reaches of Australia and Tasmania. In the past few years, scientists have successfully drafted the DNA sequence of the thylacine. This means that in the future, we, not all of us listening maybe, but our species may be able to create our own hybrids. Just like the work on the woolly mammoth, we may be able to bring the Tasmanian tiger back from the grave. Ah, uh, the, the thylacine park will be born. We'll get the the blood from <laughs> ancient mosquitoes trapped in amber in the great outback. Oh, wait, what? I don't even know what you'd find in the, the outback where you would get DNA like that. Maybe, maybe it will be huge Australian mosquitoes unbeknownst <laughs> to, to man before this time and we'll, we'll take that DNA. And we'll book the whomever the Jeff Goldblum of Australia Dr. is. Dr. Ian Malcolm will be there and he will say, this is chaos. <laughs> and it's chaos that we want you to be a part of. So let us know what you thought about this episode. And hey, if you're in Australia, let us know, um, let us know if any of these cryptids are taken seriously 
on the ground where yeah. you live, you know. Have Are, you ever used drop bears to um, get a group of blokes or Sheilas to hang out with you? Is it is it all just sort of a dad joke? You know what I mean? Yeah. Drop bears? Ooh, we'd like we'd like to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we're we're all over the place. If you want to see those panda commercials, then get thee to our community page. Here's where it gets crazy. Panda cheese, everybody. Uh, we are going on tour. Remember that. We got to tell you this every time. We're going on tour. We have been instructed. No, we haven't been instructed. We feel compelled to do so. You have to know this because we need you to come and see us. Yeah. We, we need you to be there. We want to see you. Yeah. Yes, please. We, we need you more than you need us. Can we hang out, please? Oh, speaking of, shout out to Michael Shelby. Uh, he, If you're listening, Michael, I, I kept my word. Said oh. I'd give him a shout out. Oh, one of the Shelby brothers, huh? <laughs> anybody, anybody get that? Anybody watching? Peaky Blinders? Okay, never mind. <laughs> All right. Uh, Thomas Shelby, hit me up if you're listening to this. Okay, so uh, yes, we're going on tour. Go to StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. Click on the Live Shows tab. You can check out all the cities we'll be in, when we'll be there. You can get your tickets from there. Uh, and, you know, really, please come hang out. We don't want to give you too many spoilers, but we can promise it will be weird and more than worth your time. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff... All, and you still want to talk to us to give us a suggestion for what we should cover in the future, a comment, uh, keep the criticisms light, but we'll, we accept. You can write us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Friends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.